Hey, it's Adam. Welcome to our weekly teaching podcast here at South Hills Church in Corona, California. Our hope is that as you listen in, you'll find yourself laughing and learning and being challenged and encouraged to grab hold of who God has made you to be. Enjoy the message. That's the title of my message is Tropical Treehouse Tears. Tropical Treehouse Tears. Um, a, a couple years ago, uh, we, we were in the season here at the church where uh, there was just a lot happening and uh, our staff was a little bit smaller and I was working a lot. I was working really hard, probably more than I should, to sort of, you know, make things happen. And uh, I was missing out on a lot of things with my family and I was missing out on some rest that I really needed during that time period. And my family was feeling it and my wife was definitely feeling it. And my solution was, you know what? like we need to go on a vacation, right? And so I, I planned with my wife this amazing vacation. We're gonna go to Tennessee. Her brother uh, owns or operates this sort of like resort ranch and it's got all this cool stuff on it. It's got a pond and ATVs and you can fish there and there's horseback riding and there's um, like caves and tree houses and all kinds of epic stuff. And, um, and so we're gonna go on this trip. This is a picture of actually my kids uh, at the top of this tree house. And this is one of the amazing epic. It's basically like everything you dreamed about as a kid and they just put it in this ranch and it's amazing. And um, I like, because I had sort of been a little bit MIA and a little bit stressed out and a little bit spread a little thin, I was talking up to my family like, this is gonna be great guys. It's gonna be amazing because in my head, I'm like, I've been running so hard and doing so much that I need this vacation. I need it to be amazing, but it's okay because this vacation is gonna fix everything, right? There is gonna be enough amazingness in this little trip to sort of reconnect all the dots with my family and to refuel me and to bring me back like all charged up and ready to go. And so we went on this vacation and it did not go down the way I thought it was going to. And I'd put all this pressure on it that I felt like it had to be on a certain level. And so maybe I like forced it a little bit, but it like rained while we were there. So we couldn't go outside as much as we wanted to. And we were like fighting a lot. Uh, I don't know if any of you have ever done that thing where you're like, we're gonna, we're fighting here. If we go on a vacation, all the things we're fighting about will somehow disappear. And then you realize you just paid a lot of money to fight in a different location, right? Not as fun, right? And so my wife and I were fighting about some things. The kids were fighting, like we were feuding. It was like all the stuff we'd been pushing down and trying to ignore just sort of came up because we had nothing to do but just annoy each other. And we did a great job of it. And, uh, and so like we were, we were around each other too much and it was just, it was crazy and it was chaotic and it wasn't going the way we wanted to. And I remember one day specifically, the dad took this picture. We were out and we were at this tree house and there's like a swing that hangs from it. And the kids are kind of playing and they're, 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 it's starting to sprinkle and they're like, I want to go in or whatever. And I'm like committed to having this amazing, like, you know, family moment because we need it. And, and so I'm like, Hey guys, go up there and we'll get a picture picture and, and they're like, it's raining. I don't want to. And they're shoving each other and pushing and fighting and whatever. And I'm just like, guys, I need this photo. And they're like, one of them starts to cry. Right. And I just, I just lose it. Right. I'm just like, are you kidding me right now? You are on top of the world's greatest tree house. Get it together. I'm like, put your arm around her and smile. And uh, one of them, I think it was Tegan was just like, but dad, it's fake. And I'm like, but it's a beautiful kind of fake smile. <laughs> you ever done that? You're just like, just do it for Instagram. You know what I mean? I need this. I need to prove to others, but mostly to myself that we're happy right now. 
And of course, it all fell apart after that. Like we had to get them back inside and, and, and it was just like, I remember coming home from this trip and so many things like didn't go the way that I thought they were gonna go in my head that I remember coming home and just being angry the whole flight home, just being so mad that it didn't go according to plan. And, I, and that one of the things that was really frustrating me is I didn't find it relaxing and rejuvenating in the way that I wanted it to be. And I knew people were gonna ask me like, don't you feel so great? Don't you feel so energized that you've come back from this trip? And I was gonna have to be like, no, I don't. I feel horrible. Part of me wishes I wouldn't have gone, right? Because nobody wants to hear that after you come back from a place where you're taking these kind of pictures. But it was true. I came back from the trip and I found myself feeling more stressed out and more burnout than I was before I left. And I wonder if you've ever had this sort of experience in your life before. I wonder if you've ever come home from a vacation that you were really excited about, feeling even more stressed out and burnout than before you left. You parked all these high expectations on it and it, it didn't quite deliver on the level that you wanted it to. And if you ever had this moment, you know it's very disorienting and it's depressing, and it's discouraging, and frustrating in ways that are difficult to put into words. You feel like you blew your one chance to sort of plug back in and fuel back up. Why does this happen to so many of us? And as I was wrestling with this during that time period, I started wondering about this specific question, and I want to just pose it to you. I started wondering, like, was it that the vacation was really that bad, or is it just that my life right now is just not that good? Is it that part of me has structured my life in a way that isn't sustainable, and so I don't want to go back to the way that I've organized things? And I wonder if you've had this experience, isn't that why you were kind of let down is because you didn't want to have to re-enter the thing that you'd constructed for yourself? Because in reality, the vacation wasn't an excursion as much as it was an escape. And I wonder for you, when you go on vacation, which is it? I mean, if you're really honest with yourself, is it an excursion where you're enjoying your life and you're going away and you're sort of extending and having an adventure with people and then coming back to something that you enjoy? Or are you just trying to get away from something that you're unhappy with? Are you trying to avoid something that exists in your everyday and I think this is how a lot of us live our lives, right? We pick a series of, of goals and like things we wanna do and we run as fast and as hard as we possibly can in pursuit of those things and we overload our plates and we burn ourselves out and then just about the point where we've got absolutely nothing left and our tank is completely empty, we take a four-day break to somewhere special and in hopes that it's going to completely fix and refuel and restore us. And that means that all this pressure that we've packed on to that little escape that we're trying to rig for ourselves, that if everything isn't just perfect, that it feels like a complete failure. Why is it that so many of us do this? I think part of it is because we live in a product-oriented culture as opposed to a process-oriented culture. And you know, I think in terms of Americans, but especially Southern Californians, this is really true about us. And what this means is that we are driven in a lot of ways by productivity and efficiency and accomplishment. 
And so our mindset in life is there's certain things that I need to do and achieve. And so just do whatever you have to do to get it done. It doesn't matter if it's enjoyable or sustainable or meaningful or even completely ethical. You just got to do it. Just get in there and make it happen. And part of the reason why we live this way is when you live this way, you do, you do have the ability to get a lot of things done. But unfortunately, it comes at a cost. And a lot of people are feeling exhausted and burnt out and unhappy about their state of existence. And we're starting, I think, to wake up to this as a culture at large, which is why you, you, you've maybe heard people say things um, in passing or seen posts on Instagram where people are saying things like, listen, you just, you just need to live in the present. You just need to enjoy the moment. That's, that's the issue. But I wonder if, like me, when you see people say that, you kind of feel like they don't mean it. Like they're just giving it lip service. Like what they really mean is obviously, you know, enjoying the right, we should enjoy the right, blah, 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 blah. But that's secondary to reaching the goal, getting ahead, and just like, you know, plain proving that you're awesome. And I see this everywhere. My, my boys both play soccer and I, there have been plenty of moments where I've observed this, thankfully not with any of the coaches my boys have had, but like other teams where they have like the, the, the crazy coach and it's like before the game or in the middle of the game where they're not losing or they're, having a, or they're not winning or they're having a losing season and the coach will like just lay into the kids. And he's just like, you guys, we don't, this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna get out there and we're gonna be aggressive today. No balls get past you. You know what I'm talking about. And he's all yelling at them. And then it's like, he sort of realizes where he is and he's like, and obviously, you know, the most important thing is to have fun, right? And like, then the kids are like, they kind of run out confused. And even them as kids, they, they know that like, he doesn't really mean that. He's just like, you know, wait, we should, we should care about this. We should enjoy it. It should be a priority, but it's not really, we will win at all costs. That is what is truly important. And I'm like, these kids are five. I don't know what dreams you're trying to live out through them vicariously, but you should go to therapy. And I think another reaction to the way that our culture is sort of rigged is, is to take this position of like, listen, don't put pressure on yourself. Like, you don't, don't worry about, you don't need to set goals or try hard or like work a job ever. Just, I mean, if you want to be happy, you should just do what you, know, you feel like doing and relax and just like love your life, man. And what I think is interesting about this is you could almost build a case for this way of living off of certain things that Jesus says. I'll just read you an example of this. Matthew chapter six, verse 25, this is Jesus talking. And he says this, he says, do not worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food in your body more than clothing. I'm not really reading this the right way to, to, to give you the understanding of why this could be distorted. Let me, let me try again. Look at the birds, man. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, but your heavenly father feeds them. And are you more valuable than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? Bro. And why worry about clothing? Look at the lilies in the field. And how they grow. They don't work to make clothing. And yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. Is it just me or like when you, when you, when you read through this the right way, 
it sort of sounds like something your stone neighbor Steve would say. <laughs> a little bit. You're like, all right, Steve. He's like, what, man? It's real. Also, it's legal now. <laughs> like, all right, bro. I think we can read this and we can just be like, okay, wait, so cool. So be, be present. Don't be anxious. I got it. I'm for that. But like, what are we supposed, are we just supposed to be like Steve? We're just supposed to like quit our jobs and sit around and look at birds and flowers. Is that what we're supposed to do? And that's not really what Jesus is saying here, especially when we factor in all the biblical wisdom given to us about the value of work and not just in the old Testament, in the new Testament too. In fact, I'll just read you two new Testament verses around this subject. Um, first, the first in First Timothy, chapter five, verse eight. It says, "Anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever." Oof. Second Thessalonians chapter three, verse seven says this. This is the apostle Paul talking again. He says, "Imitate us." We were not idle when we were with you. We never accepted food from anyone without paying for it. We worked hard day and night so we wouldn't be a burden to any of you. And these things are really just saying like, listen, like work is important and, and having goals is important and contributing to your community is important. And the reason I bring this up is like, what do we do with all this stuff, right? Because you have this stuff that Jesus is saying, you have this stuff that the apostle Paul is saying. I mean, does this, does this stuff, is it, is it conflicting with itself? Is it contradicting? How does this stuff fit together? Because I think most of us lean one way or the other in life. And you can see that in our, in our current culture. Um, there are these two extremes, I think, that are, that are often pitted against one another, and neither of which, which really works, right? There are people who are unhappy and deal with their unhappiness by just not wanting to work. And so the attitude is just like, man, I just, I'm going to relax. I'm going to do whatever I feel like all day. I shouldn't have to do that. I shouldn't have to work hard. I shouldn't have to, that's stressful. Okay. Shouldn't have to be places at a time and punch a, I don't want to do that. And then there's people like on the way other side of things that respond to their unhappiness by only wanting to work. Like they, they just, they have goals, they're driven, like there's never any downtime. Every moment is scheduled and pointed at something. There's never any time to relax. They keep putting off any vacations or leisure until later and later never seems to come. And, and one group, right, seems to stack up a lot of impressive achievements, but they're still unhappy. And if we wanted to like stereotype generationally, it tends to be a lot of boomers and Gen Xers, right? And then, and then the, the, you have this other group of people and, and they stack up a lot of pleasurable experiences, but they're also unhappy. And, and again, if you're gonna stereotype, it's a lot of millennials and Gen Zers. And maybe some of you are like me, you fall right between the Gen Xers and millennials. And so you have all these problems. <laughs> you wanna work all the time and do nothing at the same time. It's very confusing to you and your family. And the reason I bring this up is that I think what all this scripture is telling us is that we're made to, to both, to enjoy both our work and our rest. And in fact, avoiding either makes us miserable. And this is the way in which you're built. This is why neither extreme really produces the kind of happiness that anybody in that camp wants it to 
or tries to convince us that it does. This is why maybe like if you've been in one place and you're just like, this isn't working and you went way over to the other side, you're like, this, this sucks too, right? Because you're made to experience and enjoy both these things. And in fact, in the book of Genesis, you see that this is the way that God himself operates, right? In the, in the opening passage of scripture, there's this elaborate poem that revolves around creation and we see God is working for six days he's creating and he, we get clues that he enjoys what he's doing and he is producing things that he's proud of. He keeps saying that it's, that it's good, that it's very good, that, that like he's getting something out of it. And even though all that is true, he still sets aside time to rest and reflect and enjoy and give thanks. Like when I read through the, this, this poem, I, I don't get the impression that God was just like grinding it out and he hated every second of it and he worked himself into the ground and then he really needed that seventh day to be amazing to make up for the other six that he couldn't stand. And then when you get to the New Testament, Jesus, who is God in human form, you, you see that Jesus sort of lives his life in much the same way. And I'll just give you a, sort of an overview of this. In the book of Luke, in the, the second chapter, Jesus is a, a kid. And he, it says that he is, he loses complete track of time because he is like discussing and debating scripture in the temple. And he says he's about his father's business. He's so focused and dialed in that he loses all track of time. In Luke chapter 19, um, Jesus is on his way somewhere. He has an agenda, a schedule, and yet he drops everything to go have dinner with this tax collector named Zacchaeus. And he spends time with him and invests in him because he senses that this person needs him in that moment. In Luke chapter seven, Jesus is accused of being a glutton and a drunkard. And the reason for this is because people are observing that he just spends so much time just eating and drinking with people, just talking and laughing and hanging out and spending time with them and being like a present at these dinner parties. And people are just like, what are you, what are you doing with your life? John chapter four, Jesus is focused and fulfilled that he forgets he's hungry. Like uh, he's actually talking to this woman at the well. He's on this hike through the desert. He's starving. He sends his disciples ahead. He doesn't have the energy to go get the food and bring it back. So he sends them. And when they come back, he's been, you know, having this spiritual conversation with this woman and they offer him the food. And he's like, I'm not hungry anymore because I, I was so focused and fulfilled on, on engaging with my purpose that I I don't even notice that I'm hungry anymore. Matthew chapter eight, Jesus um, tells his followers, like he's kind of like, you know, why do you wanna follow me? Like, I don't have any money. I don't have a house. I have no place for you to sleep. I have no possessions. Everything that everybody is going after to try and make themselves happy, I don't have any of that stuff. So why are you following me? And they're just like, where else will we go? Like, you know what it is to truly be happy. You are tapped into an otherworldly type of joy that we want access to. And it's clearly not in this stuff because you don't have it. But, but we want what you do have. And if you look at this, all these situations are really different in more ways than they're not, but they do have one thing in common. And that is, I think they demonstrate that Jesus was present in the moment regardless of what he's doing. It wasn't that he had this perfect balance of rest and work in his life. It wasn't that he sort of measured it out in a very specific way. It was that he enjoyed both his work and his rest. And that doesn't mean that his work was always fun. Right? There are aspects of all of our work that is just not fun, but the overall experience that Jesus had of his life and his work was that it was always meaningful and always deeply enjoyable. 
even when it wasn't fun. And when I read through accounts of Jesus, I don't just get the impression that he was present in the moment, but that he was lost in the moment, like in a good way. And there's actually a term for this. It's called flow. Flow, in fact, is this state of intense absorption and involvement with the present. It's being totally immersed in what you're doing. It's, it's fully, being fully focused um, and not at all self-conscious, right? You, you, you lose sight of like what people think of you while you're doing the thing. You're feeling challenged, but you're not overwhelmed by the activity at hand. It's sort of this sweet spot of human attention and engagement between like, like being over, like overdoing it and overstretched and being completely bored. It's like you have just enough to keep you interested and pull you forward, but it's not so hard that you want to give up and you just sort of stay in that state. And when people are in flow, they lose track of time, right? They don't notice that they're hungry, much like Jesus. They find the experience deeply fulfilling. They forget they have to go to the bathroom. Has this ever happened to you? right, where you're so absorbed in something and then you kind of come out of it and you're like, oh, I got to pee. You know what I mean? Like it's really, it hits you all of a sudden. You feel like you're going to pop and you're like, where was this feeling for the past hour, right? They, they, they lose sort of consciousness of their body. They, they, they forget that they're sitting in an uncomfortable position. You ever gotten up from something that you were really dialed into and realized that like your legs have gone numb and immediately collapsed to the ground, right? They're like, what? Just, I didn't even notice that that, that was happening because I was so dialed in to what I was doing. When you're in a flow state, everything else sort of fades into the background. And you've probably tapped into this sometime when you are just fully dialed into your favorite hobby, which is why you like it and wanna go back and do it over and over again. But I think the interesting thing about this is that people can tap into a flow state doing almost anything. Like doing chores, working on factory floors, checking off routine tasks in life. Because it's not about... Uh, the adrenaline rush you get from it. It's about the amount of attentiveness you give over to it. Think about this as sort of approaching all of life with the engrossed concentration of a child who is experiencing or learning something for the very first time. In fact, most children experience flow on a consistent basis almost by accident. This is why a lot of children seem hard of hearing. Have you noticed this with your kids? They're so dialed into something. Maybe this is just our home. Like, Zeke, hey, Zeke, hey, Ezekiel, hello, hey, hey, buddy, hey, huh? We could do cartwheels in front of him. He's not, no, we have to like actually power down the whole power grid on the neighborhood. All the lights go down and he's like, oh, oh, what happened? I got to pee, my legs hurt. You know what I mean? Like he suddenly <laughs> comes back to life, right? Kids do this thing all the time. This is the way that they tend to, to, to function. And, um, I think, I bring this up because I think that Jesus approached a lot of his life this way. And it seems that there's enough evidence from the, the stories told about him and the way he engaged with things and people that this is the way that he lived. And, and what is even more interesting is that this is the way that he encourages us to live much of our lives. Um, I wanna just read you something that maybe you've heard before, but never sort of connected the dots in this way. Matthew chapter 18, Jesus is speaking and verse three, he says, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. Anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now there's a lot going on with what Jesus is saying. Everything he says is packed with so much meaning and metaphor. But um, 
You know, kingdom, when it says kingdom of heaven, it's not talking about like getting to go to heaven when you die. Jesus is talking about um, heaven as this reality that exists in the here and now. He continually told his followers that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's right here. It's something that you can tap into and engage with and expand and explore in the here and now. It's a place where ultimate joy exists. And when Jesus talks about sort of what it is required to connect to and tap into that, he paints this picture of what it is to be a child. And I bring this up because I wonder, when you think about this verse, I wonder if you have ever thought much about the sin of inattention. Because I think that's at least in part what Jesus is talking about here the sin of sort of skimming over your life without ever really fully engaging with it. Because I think a lot of us live our lives with very divided attention. And we're doing one thing and we're thinking about another thing and we're worried about something else and then we're planning another thing and having a fight with somebody else that's not there in our head at the same time. We're doing all of that and we're not fully present in what is happening all around us at the moment. And what I think is fascinating is that children especially little children, are almost always just doing whatever it is they're doing. And that's it. And Jesus is pointing to this and saying, that's, that's the thing you're trying to, to find your way back to. And I wonder, like, what if God is always with you and he's constantly gifting joy to you, but you're not experiencing it because you are not paying attention to it? because you are so distracted in so many different directions that you don't recognize the gifts that God is continually giving you in order to wake you up to how happy you can be in this moment. Imagine, imagine this. Imagine arranging your life in such a way that you could enjoy and be absorbed in your day-to-day -day as opposed to needing a vacation to escape it. You know what that sounds like? You know what that kind of life sounds like to me? Happiness. I, I think that's really what we're painting a picture of. And so how do we do that? How do we move in that direction? I think when you look at what Jesus says and what the apostle Paul says, I, I think a big part of happiness is finding a, a rhythm in the work you do and falling in love with the little joys around you. Like not like little people named Joy, but like I'm, I'm like meaning like little. We'll go. In, we'll define it. Okay, both of these things. What what I mean by work, right? Work is inclusive of your job, but it's not exclusive to your job, right? It's this idea of committing yourself to something and really fully engaging with that thing because you believe it matters. And there are a lot of little things that we do in life that deeply matter, but we just sort of rush through them instead of imparting to them the meaning that they're really meant for. This is about showing up and being fully engaged and engrossed in your life. Even the routine mundane, everyday parts that we feel like just have to get done. And there's, there's this really interesting um, set of writings from this monk 
who talked about like the pinnacle experiences of joy in his life were when he would tap into these flow states while washing dishes in the monastery because he would be fully absorbed in it and he would think about how meaningful it was to like have something clean and presentable that he there was his gift that he was giving to the rest of his brothers that he would like get caught up in the motion and start to enjoy the physiological like rhythm of the thing and he would in the moment be grateful for and absorbed in the task at hand and he looked forward to it he loved it and some of you are like yeah he's a monk they didn't have netflix what are you talking about he doesn't know and yet I think there's something spectacular here. And then there's this other idea of, of savoring the little joys in your life because weekends and vacations and time off are great, but like your day-to-day life is full of little joys that are just waiting to be discovered and savored and experienced. And a lot of times we overlook them or we get used to them or we just ignore them altogether. And I use this word, savor, which is, which is different than gratitude. A couple weeks ago, we talked about the importance of gratitude. And I want to just sort of separate these things in your mind because both are really necessary to tap into life to the full. Gratitude is essentially being appreciative of an experience, like thankful for it. And it's often upon reflection afterwards. So you get on the other side of something and you look back and you're like, wow, I'm really grateful. I'm thankful for that thing. But savoring is different. Savoring is this idea of fully occupying and getting the most out of an experience while it's happening. Like you are lost in it. You're appreciative of it as it's unfolding. You're dialed into it. You are absorbed in every detail of it. And these things are different and they can exist without one another. But when you couple them together, it's, it's magic. Like you, you can, you can be grateful for something that you, you know, did not savor. Okay. I think about this uh, in relation to like every time I've ever gone to like a fitness boot camp, right? Afterwards, I was grateful for it. I wasn't savoring it. I look back and I'm, I'm glad I did that. It was healthy for me. It was good. I'm glad I'm that kind of person. Appreciate that guy pushing me. In the moment, I'm not like, I love that this guy is yelling at me. This pain is amazing. Right? I, I hope that he really, I hope that these threats he delivers on and he really punches me because I can't do another sit up. But I'm going to die right now. But I love that. No, I wasn't thinking that. Right? But you can also do the reverse. Like you can savor something that you are not grateful for. In fact, that you end up being regretful for. Like eating 12 chalupas in one sitting in your car. You can fully savor that moment, right? You can eat every single, you can taste every little ingredient. You can think about the texture of each little piece of cheese. And then afterwards, you're like, that was a mistake. That was a mistake, right? And that's why I'm gonna be spending the night in the bathroom. That is, I shouldn't have done that. I'm not grateful. I'm regretful. The savoring requires you to slow down and do less and pay attention to what you're doing. And in our culture, we really don't have time for that because we are a, a product-oriented culture, which means we have to get stuff done. We have to get to the finish line. We have to make things happen. And so instead of paying attention to what we're doing, instead of savoring the experience that is unfolding around us, we are doing this thing while daydreaming about another thing or the thing that we're gonna do later or the thing that we're planning for up ahead. And we rob ourselves of the happiness that God wants to give us inside of our every day. And herein lies the loophole of vacation culture, of feeling like you need to run off somewhere to become happy. The reality is like, if you need something rare to be happy, you'll rarely be happy. 
Because the more things you like in life, the more you'll like your life. And a lot of us, we, we sort of rearrange our lives in a way that like, I can only be happy if I have this and this and this and this. I gotta tell you, like, if you can only be happy on a white sand beach in a foreign country, you're not gonna get access to that happiness very often. You have designed your life in such a way where you can rarely get access to the thing that you want most. On the flip side, if you decide that all you need to be happy is a microwavable white castle cheeseburger, then you can get access to that happiness every, maybe multiple times a day, okay? Because it is available in your local grocer's freezer, right? But a lot of us don't construct our lives this way, especially in our culture. And, and here's what I want to ask of you or challenge you with today. What if you decided to lower the bar of likability in your life? What if you decided to allow little things to bring you a lot of joy? Because that's what happy people do. And you've likely seen this before. You ever seen someone who had like a, a, a recent near-death experience? Like one where they almost died and they realize that they almost died and they can't believe that they survived? They, they, it changes how they experience everything. And, and really, most of the time, they're not really doing different things. They're just experiencing the same things on a deeper level. And those things, they're not any better or worse than they were the day before, but the person is getting so much out of them than they were the day before because the way that they attend to or pay attention to them is different. The same bed sheets feel extra snugly and soft. Like their same wife looks extra beautiful. He's like, baby, you are gorgeous. And she's like, I look the same as yesterday. You just thought you were going to die. So now you treat me like a supermodel, which is why I'm going to rig hunting accidents consistently because this feels great for me. Right? Like the, the, the same rowdy quirks uh, from your kids that felt unbelievably annoying now feel like, you know, endearing and entertaining. The food that you had yesterday that was just like, it's the same bland stuff. It tastes amazing the day afterwards. And the reason why I tell you all this is that you do not have to have a near-death experience to decide to live this way. It's a choice you can make. Although I do want to say, like, too much of a good thing can be a bad thing. Um because, you know, nobody is better at, at savoring life and stepping into flow states than um, heroin addicts and Alzheimer's patients, okay? And that is not what you want to be, right? And I, and I bring this up because these are people who exist completely in the moment and nowhere else, which is why they oftentimes have no idea what's going on. They don't care about the consequences of their actions, either because they don't have the ability or it's just beyond them in the moment. And you don't wanna be that sort of a person. So there is room to sort of plan and, and, and think through the kind of life you wanna live. You, you don't wanna live in the moment to a fault, but most of us, we don't do this enough. What I would tell you is that it is, it is smart to examine your options to think long-term, to be wise, and to point your life in a particular direction. You can't do everything. You have to pick a direction and move in that direction. Of like, I think this is gonna be a good route for me to take, a good schedule for me to keep, good things to focus on right now. And then once you've made that decision, allow yourself to savor every step of the journey as opposed to second-guessing every step of the journey. And how many of us, this is our Achilles heel. We make the decision 
And we don't savor it. Instead, we're just like, I'm going to go this direct. Is this really what I should be doing? I'm not really sure if this is right. I, I, should, I be, should I have chosen that path back over there? I'm, I'm, try, I'm thinking, like, I don't know. Should, is, this, is this okay? Should I be doing? What are other people doing? I don't know what I, and we're panicking the whole time. And you should have moments in your life where you pause and reflect on what is wise and what you should do. Every 15 seconds, a little too much. And some of us, this is the source of our anxiety and ultimately why we are not happy. Often we'll review, like Gretchen and I, we review our weekly schedule once a week. And then we just live it. We exist inside of it. You know, we, we review what we're doing around here as a church like every week and then a bigger picture every month. And then we review every six months. And it's kind of the way I review um, my, my work schedule as well. But some of us are so dialed into second guessing that we can't remember the last time we savored anything. And I think all these ideas can sort of be compounded and, and, and summarized by something that the Apostle Paul says in one of his letters to the early church. I just want to read you this. It's found in the book of Romans, chapter 12, verse 9. He says this, Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. And and, in these couple short verses, he's saying everything that we have just talked about today, right? Like if we unpack it, he starts off by saying like, hate what is wrong. In other words, like there are some things in the world and in your life that are just wrong. Don't, you don't have to pretend that something that is wrong is good. You don't need to do that. You're not expected to do that. And some of us exist in certain schedules or situations or circumstances that are wrong. They are not good. And we need to actually bow out. We need to change our life. We need to get out of that situation, that relationship. We need to change our schedule or job because it's not healthy. It's not working. And we ought to. But for most of us, most of the time, there's a lot of good to hold on to that we're often not even paying attention to. There's a lot of people around us to love and delight in and enjoy being with that we often just take their presence and their personalities for granted. There's a lot of meaningful work to get lost in and focus on and give ourselves over to and enjoy. And when we do these things, we like the way our life works. Now, this is tough for me. And so I have folded this weird paradox into a mantra, and I, I'm just gonna share it with you. I'm gonna bring you into my journal. And hopefully, for some of you, this may be something helpful for you. But this is sort of something that I repeat to myself to help me remember what is important and stay on this path. And this is what it is. I'm perfectly happy with where I'm at, what I have, and the good that God has given me. And I also enjoy working to make myself and the world better. But even if my work doesn't produce the results I want, I'll still be happy because I already have more than enough. I don't need to escape my life because I genuinely enjoy it the way it is. And here's what I want to ask you. What if you really believed that? What if this was really the way you saw your existence? What if you were able to organize your life in a way where you could say this truthfully, 
And what if you paid attention to the good things in your life where this was true? You still may need to echo it to yourself because a lot of us, this is not the natural way we approach our existence. But it is a choice that you can make. It's a mindset that you can develop. It's a muscle that you can exercise. And I wonder, what if you made this your goal? In fact, this is what I want to challenge you to do over this next week, just as an experiment. I want you to pray this prayer. God, God, help me slow down enough to see, savor, and find satisfaction in the everyday things I typically take for granted. Imagine if God honored this prayer in your life. Imagine if nothing changed about your life except for your ability to see the joy in the little things, to savor every moment of existence from boring chores to things that just have to be done to that rhythmic report you have to send into your boss. What if you could find a state of absorption and flow and interest in those moments? What if you could realize that all the good that God has given you is enough to be satisfied with and really genuinely enjoy your life in the here and now? Because you can do this or you can cross your fingers and you can put all the pressure on the next great escape you're planning. And if you do, man, I hope it's perfect. It's probably not gonna be, but I genuinely hope it is. But even if it is, I'm not sure that it's gonna be enough because you are not constructed in a way to hate your life and exhaust yourself and grind yourself into the ground and be miserable most of your life and have four days every six months that you actually like. God has something more and better for you. And yet it may require you to move some things around, to push some things off your plate, to slow yourself down and to see and savor and determine to find satisfaction in all the little gifts God has given you that up to this point you have taken for granted. And I'll tell you, most of those gifts are people. They're relationships. They're people that like, if they were absent from your life tomorrow, your life will be a whole lot less interesting, entertaining, and enjoyable. Oftentimes those people are also annoying. It's a package deal. What are you gonna focus on? Because the life you're living right now is worth savoring. Would you bow your heads across this room? I'm gonna pray this into your existence today. And as I give voice to our prayers, would you just pray along in the confines of your own heart? Mean these things in your own soul. God, I know that you see every person, every life, every heart, You know what our lives look like. You know our schedules. You know the things that we feel like we have to do, the things that we want to do. You know the ways in which um, we try and do, do, do so that we can prove that we're good enough to experience a little moment of joy and excitement and pleasure. And yet the fact that we are yours and you made us is enough. God, you have given us so much that we often ignore the beauty 
of in the moment. And God, I pray that you would enable us this week, starting even now, that you would open the eyes of our heart, that we would be able to see and savor and find satisfaction in the relationships that God has gifted us with, the breath in our lungs, the food we're about to go eat, the jobs that we have been provided so that we can provide for those around us. God, all of the incredible things that sometimes we find annoying or frustrating, that if we choose to see them as something to get lost in and be absorbed in and give ourselves over to, God, we honor you in that moment. And in return, you allow us to be happy right where we are right now. God, make it so. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. We hope you heard something that spoke directly to where you're at right now in life. To find out more about our church, hit up our website, southhills.org slash corona, or follow us on social media at South Hills Corona. And if our messages have made a difference in your life, help us get the word out by rating and reviewing this podcast. And as always, You can support the ongoing work of our church by giving through our website at southhills.org slash give and selecting the Corona Campus. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next week. God bless.